We're going to learn the Sikha from the book of Lakuta Sikhas Khalikov, chapter uh, book twenty, the Sikha Vayetse, the first Sikha. And the Pasuk, Vayishka Bamakamahu, it says that Yaakov slept in that place. We're talking when um Yaakov had uh, run away. Uh, no, we're talking about the beginning where he um He's on his way to Lavan. After he ran away from um, his okay. house, from Yitzchak and Rivka, because he had taken the brachas and Esau was furious, to say the least. So he ran away to go to Lavan's house. But on the way, he stopped for 14 years. Because the Medrash says, here he, by Yishkav, he, he lay down in that place. Here he lay down and went to sleep. But this tells us the entire 14 years that he was Secluded, Tamun, Bebet Aver, in the house of Aver, the great grandson of Shame. That was a place of study, that was a place of transmission of, uh, of uh, the tradition of the Torah, the way it was handed down then. So, those 14 years that he was studying, Lo Shachav, he didn't lie down. In other words, he was a studious student. And then there's another opinion that here he lied down, here he slept. But the following 20 years that he worked in the house of Lavan, he didn't lie down. As he himself says before he runs away from love, that I kept my eyes free of sleep because he was so dedicated to his work. And uh, this is one of the places we learn what kind of dedication a person needs to have when he takes a job, what kind of, uh, how he has to be committed, work ethic. He brought down a Shulchan Later on, the Medrash continues, and what was he saying? Ben Levi says, Tetvav Shira Ma'alot Shibesefer Tehillim, he said, was saying the 15 chapters that start with the word Shira Ma'alot, a song that was said on the steps of the Beis Amikdash, which are in the book of Tehillim, from chapter 120 to chapter 135. In Tehillim are all verses that are called Shira Ma'alot, the songs designated to be sung on the steps of the Beis Amikdash. My timer, why did he sing Shira Ma'alot? Because he says that one of the Shira Ma'alot is were it not for Hashem that was with us, that is what Yisrael said. Yisrael is another name, code name for Yaakov. Yisrael, Saba, the ancient Yisrael, the grandfather Yisrael, which is referring to Yaakov Avinu, Yaakov, our patriarch. So the, 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 the Tehillim seems to say that these songs for David what is Yisrael saying? What is Yaakov saying? If not for Hashem that was with us, we would be lost. In other words, those are the verses he was saying in the 20 years that he was with Lavan. He used to say the entire book of Tehillim. What reason? Where do we know that from? It says, Hashem, you are holy. Yoshev Tehillot Yisrael. You um, reside on and you rely on the, the the praises that Yisrael, who's Yisrael, Yisrael Saba, the elderly Yisrael, in other words, Yisrael, our grandfather, Yisrael uh, Yaakov. And that refers on the entire book of Tehillim. Um, so let's understand what is the what is those those cryptic, the cryptic concept that the Medrash asks, which is what is Yisrael saying? 
So the, the meaning of this question that the Medrash asked, what was Mahaya Aymar, what was he saying? It can't be that we're asking what was Yaakov Avinu occupied with the entire time that he was, the 20 years he was in Islam's house. Because it says explicitly what he was doing. He was busy tending to the sheep. And it says he was busy by night and by day and he didn't have time to sleep. So there's no question about what was he doing. The question is, what were the prayers? What was the study that Yaakov implemented while in such a difficult place that gave him the strength to withstand and overcome the difficulties of living in a place called Kharan, which was known to be a, an immoral place, and to be in the house of Lavan, Lavan being an immoral person. With what, in other words, what was his power? What were the prayers that he used to fortify himself? So being in a the house of Lavan, Yaakov was in a state of exile, and he had already, he had been exiled, he had gone away from the house of Yitzchak, and he was now in the house of Lavan, and there he was busy with the sheep of Lavan. And the truth of the matter is that this sojourn, this spending time in the house of Lavan did affect some kind of a descent in the level, the pure untainted level of Yaakov. As Rashi says that Yaakov challenged Lavan and said, if you want to come to me in a way of trickery, I know how to do trickery too. In other words, the um, the experience of being in Lavan's company rubbed off on Yaakov, and he was now able to be a um, he would be able to outsmart Lavan. That's that's not um, that 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 comes together with a certain amount of negativity. He lost his uh, his, his his simplicity and his untaintedness. So the question is, how is Yaakov, with what power, what is the prayer, what is the part of Torah that will give Yaakov the power to be able to withstand this kind of extreme circumstance, the extreme negative spiritual circumstance? So certainly, the way that he protected himself was what we already identified earlier, last week's Pasha, Kol, Kol Yaakov, the voice is the voice of Yaakov. And the voice of Yaakov has the power to be able to cancel out the, the hands of Esau. In other words, the negativity and the opposition of Esau, which seek to uh, uh, cut down Yaakov and all of what Yaakov stands for, is held back by the voice of Yaakov, the, the, the juxtaposition of Akol Kol Yaakov by Adamidei Esau. The voice of the voice of Yaakov, the hands and the hands of Esau tell us that there's a, a there's a balance here. If the voice of Yaakov is strong, it allows the the strength to overpower and to negate the influence of the hands of Esau. So that's what the Medrash is saying. What was the voice of Yaakov? What was the exact recipe of Yaakov's voice that he utilized to be able to overcome the negativity and the depravity of being in Lavan's house. That the Medrash says that these were the 15 chapters of the Tehillim called Shiramales, or the entire book of Tehillim. That was what gave him the strength to be able to overcome the exile and all of the negativity that the exile contains. Okay, so now we want to understand chapter 2, paragraph 2. If we say it's the whole book of Tehillim, we can understand the whole book of Tehillim as a, as a power. And um, 
you know, when when Lavan is in a is in a uh, uh, in a in a position where Yaakov is in a position, the house of Lavan, where he's full time occupied with sheep, and he's not able to learn Torah in a in a very deep way. At least he's not able to learn it the way he did when he was a yeshiva bachel when he was a student in the house of Aver. So he has limitations. He's a full time employee now. So he said to Hillim, "We know that there's a special uh, power." To saying the Psalms and the praises of Hashem, that it says that you, if somebody says to Hillim, he gets the reward as if he was studying the deepest, most intricate laws of the Torah, which are the laws of Nigaim, the laws of the uh, skin lesions, and Ahala is the laws pertaining to um, Tuma, impurity that's found under a roof. Very detailed and very uh, intricate halachas. If a tumma, if something impure related to a dead person is under the same roof as something else, then that other thing becomes impure. But there's many, many, many details of how this works. It's a very intricate set of halachas. Tehillim is very simple, just praising God. But he says that the, the Torah tells us if somebody says Tehillim religiously, it's a, he gets reward as if he learned the most intricate parts of the Torah. So we can understand, Yaakov couldn't learn the intricate parts of the Torah. He was busy being a full-time employee, so we want to know, what was he doing? He was saying Tehillim. But, okay, that would be the whole book of Tehillim in general, in totality. But what's the connection between the 15 verses of Shira Males, the songs of the of, of the steps, to specifically, if we, if, we, if, we, if we tweezered out 15 chapters of Tehillim to say that's what he was saying, the house of Lavan, What's so special about these 15? If we said the whole book of Tilim, we understand generally the book of Tilim is considered to be should be something very powerful and something, and if someone's unable to learn, it's considered as if he did intricate learning. But why those 15? According to the opinion, it says it was only 15. Why those 15? Yeah. This is before That doesn't matter. That's a little problem. <laughs> the stuff was written before it was written. So we'll understand this by first understanding something that the Chidah, Chidah is a is a is a is a, a Rashi Tevis, an acronym for Chaim Yosef David Azulai. He was a few hundred years ago a great prolific Sephardic author, and he writes that these fifteen Shir Hamaalot, which David says, correspond to the fifteen years that all three forefathers were alive in this world together. Right, because we have Avram have been lived to 175 years. Yitzchak was born when Avram was 100 years old. Right, so that means uh, when when Avram passed away at 175, Yitzchak was how old? He was 75. Yaakov was born when Yitzchak was 60 years old. So that means when Yaakov, when Yitzchak passed away at 80, when Avram passed away at 175, Yitzchak was 75, Yaakov was born when Yitzchak was 60, Yaakov was 15, which tells us that for 15 years the world had the great blessing of Avraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov alive at the same time. So according to this we can say that Yaakov was saying the 15 chapters of the Shira Malas of Tehillim in order to arouse the special merit of 15 to invoke also the power of the merit of Avram and Yitzchak. In other words, 
besides for relying and calling upon his own inner reserve of powers and 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 and, and merits, he was emphasizing the number fifteen because he wanted to call upon the joint energies and powers of Avraham and Yitzchak. With through that, he figured he'd be able to survive the difficulties, the spiritual difficulties of the house of love. And as he says. Were it not were it not for the for the God of my father, God of Avram, and the fear of Yitzchak, in other words, the God of Yitzchak, if I wouldn't have that power, I could never have survived. So we see him calling, calling up the reserves, so to speak. He invokes the fifteen because he's invoking the joint power of Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov. Now, why did he need the joint power of his forefathers, paragraph three, in order to be able to withstand the tests of love? So we'll understand that by a military strategy which is brought in the books of Hasidism. And this is a military strategy that was learned by, <coughs> taught by the Alter Rebbe, the first Rebbe. And it had to do with the war that was being fought in his time. I believe it was probably the, the, the Russian-French war. The way that wars usually work is that you divide the forces into three. And you have the right flank, the left flank, and you have center. And then you have the opposition, the opposing army. It also has a right flank, left flank, the right against the other the enemy's left, and the left against the enemy right, and the middle. And there's a uh, there, there's a there's two armies opposing each other, fighting. But the 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 here's a, a strategy now which will bring an unbeatable success. And what that is. At that time, during that war, one of the sides adopted a strategy where they took all three divisions, rather than, than, than lining up the three divisions against their opposing three divisions, they took three divisions against one. So what happens when you take your three divisions and you put it not against the right, left, center, but just against the right one, for example, then you have three against one, then you overpower, and then you can go, once you've broken their ranks, you can go and get the other divisions of their army. So this is what we're learning also spiritually. When we're fighting the, the inner the inner Yetzer, we're fighting the evil inclination. In order to be able to over be victorious over the negative inclination, you get all three midot, all three attributes of love, fear, and mercy. Gang them up against one negative trait of impurity, and then you knock it out and you win the war. Once you once one topples, then it's easy to topple. The others. And actually, in the footnote, he points out that we can see this a little bit in the verse. How did they, uh, how all the shepherds used to gather together? It says, They were all waiting when Lavan, when Yaakov first came to the well. They were all waiting. What were they waiting for? There was a big rock on top of the well. They were waiting for all the shepherds to come together. And the shepherds, together with their combined forces, would roll this stone off the well. So in a Hasidic interpretation, we can say that those gathering of the shepherds was a garnering of the three attributes, the three midot, ava, love, fear, and, and rachmanut, and, and mercy, pity, compassion of Kedusha. And then they're able to knock off the, um, um, knock off the uh, stone, which is being an impediment to the spring. At any rate, so this is why he's invoking the 15, the Shiramala 15, 
unique chapters of Tehillim, which are called Shira Malas, the songs sang on the on the steps, because that invokes the 15 years that the forefathers lived together. And it gives him a, the accumulated power of all three aspects of the forefathers. Each one was uh, was uh, was extraordinary in some way. That gives the power to be able to overcome the exile. Just hang on one second. The three fathers represent the three levels, the three attributes of holiness. Ava, love. Yira, awe. Rachamim, the arousal of compassion. When you have all three of those together, in other words, when you have the three aspects of holiness together, then you have the ability to be able to withstand all the difficulties, all the tests of the exile and cancel them out. Yeah. Are you saying that the, the 15 categories with 15 sections of the inner were based entirely almost like a prophecy that the, our patriarchs were going to be together for 15 years? And are there only 15 or are there more? There are, that, the Shira Malus is 15. They're a group of 15. Is that like a prophecy that that is what was coming? Into being it, uh, it was it was it's concurrent. It's not it's because because of in other words, it's depends where you look. If you look at, at the way it was in Tehillim, it came out afterwards. If you look at the way it was that the, the forefathers lived 15 years together, that happened earlier. If you look the way Hashem knew, he already knew from the beginning. They lived 15 years together because of the concept of 15. The 15 verse in Tehillim is because of the concept of 15. Now you ask a good question, which introduces us to paragraph four, which will tell us what's the real source of the power of 15 already starts before creation. Look at the next paragraph. Look at So look at the next paragraph and we'll see that th there's, there's already a cosmic power. There's a godly power in 15 that sets up. 15 is an energy that then expresses itself in the 15 years that the forefathers lived together and the 15 Shiramalis. What is 15 in its original source and the source of all energy? Source of energy is Hashem. So according to this, we can say that the, the Remez, according to the Hasidic teaching, the number 15 itself has something very important. What's the number 15? The name of Hashem, the main name of Hashem, the one we don't say, is Yudke Vavke. So the name, what's Yudke? Yudke is the main part of the name of Hashem, is the first two letters of it. Yud K, Yud and Hey. How much is Yud in the Gematria? Ten. Ten. Hey in the Gematria is fifteen. So the the main power of the name Hashem is expressed in Yud and Hey, which is fifteen. What's the difference between Yud and Hey? There's a Yud and a Hey, and then there's a Vav and a Hey. What's the difference between the Yud and the Hey versus the second part of God's name, the Vav and the Hey? The, the Yud and the Hey are Bin Chachma and Bina. The Vav and the Hey represent. The Vav is six. The six attributes. The Hey. Is represents the breath of Malchus of speech. The Yud though represents the, the the smallest glimmer, the first point of the development of 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 anything, which is like a Yud, a little point, a speck. The Hey is the first extrapolation of that. The Vav then becomes the six attributes, and the final Hey becomes Malchus. But the first Yud and Hey are where it's at, and this is what it means when we say that the forefathers lived fifteen years together. So in order for them to be able to be this unusual um, um, incorporation of three different things, each with their own set of parameters, how do you bring together 
three things that are really very different. Why don't they negate each other? Why don't they fight with each other, so to speak? Why don't they reject each other? You can't bring three very different things and incorporate them into one. But yes, you can, because if you go to their source, the Yud and the hey at source, 15 is a level that's higher than really development. It's higher than revelation. It's the, the earliest source of energy from Hashem. It's such a powerful place. It's such a non-defined place. It's such a a, 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 a a limitless place in a way that it has the power to be able to bring opposites and contain them in that energy. When the more something is 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 um, the more something is bottled, the more something loses its identity because it's in the presence of something far greater, the more it's able to be coexistent with things that are different than it. The more we feel ourselves, the less we're able to coexist with others that are different. The more we become absorbed into, so to speak, the light of Hashem, we become less ego, we become less uh, uh, present, we become less defined, we become more absorbable into each other. So to be able to have the three different levels of the forefathers to be together as one, this emanates from the 15. The 15 is the Yud and the hey. It's from the highest levels of revelation of God. And there, those opposites are not opposites. They all serve one collective um, expression of how to serve Hashem. But chapter, paragraph 5, that's not enough yet because they're called a song. Listen to this. The 15... The 15 chapters of Tehillim, they have one thing in common, these 15. They're called Shir. Shir, I'm a, shir a song. Now, if you call it a song, song, songs are joyous. How could Yaakov, but we're saying that Yaakov was busy. He protected himself and he got strength from the, from the 20 years in Lavan's house through Shir Mahalot, singing. He should have been in great angst when he was in Lavan's house. He was in a war. He was in a battle to protect himself and his family against the negative influence. Where's the song from? He's in a gullus. He's in exile. So yes, okay, we understand that these verses are giving, talking about the help of Hashem and the fact that Hashem gives uh, the power to withstand the exile. But still, how, how do you translate that into an open joyousness? And remember, we know that our sages tell us that the word shira, there's a, a, a verse in Chazal that says, omrim shira ela you should really only say when it says that we should sing, there should be wine involved. In other words, there's a joyousness, an explicit joyousness associated with the word shira, with song. So Yaakov in the house of Lavan, in a house which is bereft and antagonistic towards God, should at the very best be, there's a word in Yiddish that's begeistert, inspired or, or fortified. But not joyous. Joyousness doesn't seem to play a role here. We read in this week's Parsha that because of his love for uh, Rachel, the, the time flew by so quickly. Like it was only a few days for him. So maybe he was in a mode where he was like in love and he was in a good mood despite being there because uh, Rachel. But here, what we're there are several aspects of him being there. That's one aspect of him being there. Here we're talking about when the Zohar, the Medrash asked, what was he what was he saying? It specifically seems to be asking, how was he protecting himself in that environment? And it says he was saying these 15. We explained very nicely that the 15 has a big power. It invokes the merit of Abraham, Yitzchak, Yaakov, the amount of time they live together. We said it invokes the uh, the 15. This comes from the power of 15, the Yud and the Hey, the first two letters of the name Hashem. 
And that gives them the power. But again, the question is, I can have power to withstand a certain scenario and I can sit tight and wait, but usually I'm waiting till it's over. I'm not excited from that from that from that uh, from that um, situation. How how does he generate a sheer, a song? And this is going to be very relevant to the way we live life because there are situations where we don't see how could we ever sing about a particular thing. So the answer is that the descent of Yaakov to the house of Lavan was for Yaakov in a certain perspective was an ascent. What happened there? He didn't leave poor. He left very rich. Today's, today's reading, what we read today in the Chumash, he became, the man became very expansively wealthy, became extremely wealthy. So he, Yaakov understood and he saw in the very beginning that the purpose of his descent is to come out with children, to come out with wealth, to, which doesn't just represent physical wealth and physical children. It represents taking the sparks out of that environment and bringing out the future of the of the people of Israel. All the, all the children, except for Binyamin, everybody's born there. And he comes out with wealth that for him, wealth is is an expression of how to turn that into, into godliness. So he already sees, when he's in Lavan's house, he's already seeing the outcome. Yes, it's hard. Yes, I need to say special to Helium. I need to invoke the power of Avram, Yitzchak, Yaakov. But hey, when I look at the bigger picture, I see what Hashem wants to do to me here. He's trying to bring me to a upswing. Similar, the Rebbe points out in the footnote here, that um, there was a story brought in the Gemara in the end of the uh, Tractate of Makos, that the Rabbi Akiva was walking with several of the other Chachamim, and they saw that the fox was coming out of uh, out of the Holy of Holies, running around in the Holy of Holies, and destroyed by Samikdash, and they were crying. And Rabbi Akiva was smiling, he was laughing, he was joyous. This is Rabbi Akiva, how are you joyous? He says, "Why are you crying?" He says, "We're crying because this is the holiest of holies, and and the foxes are going there, just like the prophet prophesied." Ah, said Rabbi Akiva, "That's why I'm laughing, because there are various prophecies. There's a prophecy that." Zion Zion will be plowed like a field. But there's also a prophecy that the, the elders will come back and dance in Jerusalem will become a place, a rebuilt place. How did I ever know? The fact that the negative prophecy is fulfilled tells me that the positive prophecy will build. I see, I see in the plowing, the way the Rebbe explains it, I see in the plowing not a destruction. I see in the plowing the possibility for new growth. That's So that's the way Yaakov's shear, it's a song, but it's a bit problematic. It's a bit problematic. Why? Because um, paragraph, three, uh, paragraph six, everything comes to expression at the very beginning of its, you know, we have this concept, um, Rosh Hashanah is the, that's just the beginning of the year, it's the head of the year. The head in the human body and the head in the time and the head in, the head includes in an encapsulated way, everything. And from there it gets it gets uh, unfolded, so to speak, unpacked, unzipped. So same thing it is with Torah. For example, it doesn't bring this example here, but the first word of the Ten Commandments, Anoichi, really contains everything. The whole Torah is there in that one word. The way Hashem works his world, he sends down a packet, and then from that packet he unfolds everything from within that. So the beginning of these Tehillim is, Shir Hamalis, it starts. Shir Hamalis, the 15 songs of the steps. But what's the end of that? The first Shir Hamalis, the chapter 120 in Tehillim, which is the first song of a sense, finishes. Ani Shalem, I want peace. 
but they talk to me about war. Even though I want peace, but they're coming to fight with me. And here he says, we're talking about a, a spiritual fight. They're coming to fight my spirituality. They're coming to test me. I want peace. But by starting off, Shira Ma'alais, this is a song. And then he says, but they want war. I want peace. It tells us, seems to be telling us that the war itself, I'm not worried about it. I'm joyful already because its purpose is to lead me to a greater place. What does that mean? It means a Jew is not allowed to, on the one hand, look, if it's so great to be, to withstand temptation against Hashem, shouldn't we all leave the shear now and go to a place where there's temptation? Maybe we should do the shear. Are we doing drinking beer in the shul? Maybe we should go to the place where they drink beer and sit there and make sure not to look at what we shouldn't be looking at and not to be, you know, doing things we shouldn't be doing. That would be good. That would be sitting in a place of temptation, doing battle, and coming out all victorious. No, no, no. A Jew prays every day. Don't bring me to the test. We're not allowed to position ourselves in a place of tests. We daven for that. We're not allowed to do that. So that's why he says, I need Shalom. I want peace. Let's ask that after. Let's first finish this point. He say, Anishalim, I'm a man of peace. I don't want to have a fight with negativity. I want to put myself in the house of God. I want to put myself where there's no temptation. If I can avoid fights, I don't want fights. And that's what we're supposed to aim for. However, because there is a great bounty to be had when one serves Hashem in a way of battle, in a way of being tested and overcoming that test. So sometimes Hashem instigates Ani Sholem. I want peace. I'm not putting myself in a test. They come and instigate war against me. Who's they? The things that are called plural. The plurality, anything that's pure holiness is not plural. It's oneness. Oneness of Hashem. The plurality is this physical world. The plurality, the world is called a public domain. So they come and they fight with me. Ah, so what do you do when inadvert when against your will you're pushed into the fight? About this, Yaakov says, I'm in a fight. I didn't choose to go to Lavan. My mother sent me to go uh, to go get married there. I I'm, I'm trying to be a good guy. I'm pushed into this fight. <laughs> I'm not going to get put, I'm not going to get despondent. He says not just because the the purpose of fights, the purpose of tests is not just the purpose of tests is not to stop me from serving Hashem or to make me weak in my service. On the contrary, the purpose, the inner purpose of Hashem bringing us a test is to elicit from within us a deeper reservoir of power and courage with additional power to overcome and that's what's called a shear that's why from the very beginning Yaakov anticipates that the difficulties he has they're not meant to confound him they're not meant to pull him down they're not meant to, 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 to they're not, they're, they're not um, vindictive from Hashem God forbid they're for his benefit he doesn't look for them and he shall learn, I look for peace but they come to me with battle the beginning of that verse is Shira Malis. It's a song because I know Hashem wants me to go get to a higher level, and this is a uh, uh, this is a teaching for us 
Paragraph 7, a very powerful teaching. Everything in Torah is a teaching, is an eternal teaching. So with this we understand that all of this is a teaching about the time in, it's a lesson for the time of Gullus, the time of exile. And it's a special teaching for our time, the difficulties of the exile and the generation of the heels of Mashiach, the generation right when Mashiach is about to come. When we think about the darkness of the generation of the heels of Mashiach, and it could be, not just it could be, the situation is so bleak that we have an instruction, according to Torah, we're allowed to ask, like he's asked in the Shira Malis, there's one verse that Sasha says, Shilama alot, arim, I lift my eyes to heaven, may ayin yavo ezri, where will my help come from? What do you mean, you're a Jew, you're asking where will the help come from? Yes, it's so bad, man. Things are so bad, I've got to ask, who's going to help me? Ah, what's the answer? And the problem is, if you stop at the question, you know what happens if you stop at the question? You could fall into a yish, you could fall into a despondency, you can fall into a depression, you can fall into giving up. You have to be very careful with questions, not to stop at the question. What's the answer? Why does Hashem bring these things which lead us to such questions? In other words, difficult times lead to questions. We're not blaming the questioner for questioning. We're saying Hashem, we're asking Hashem, why do you bring such kind of situations which allow, which almost forces you to question? Ah, the point is, why is Hashem bringing the descent? Why does he make Yaakov leave and go to Haran? Why does he make him leave his father's house? He's so happy with his father. He could be sitting and learning with him until his father passes away. Why does he have to go to the cold and 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 and, and hostile environment of Lavan? It's because of the greatness of the light, which comes after the darkness, which comes against the darkness, which comes when you battle the darkness. And there's a Yisrael of Chachma, says Shlomo HaMelech, there's a benefit to wisdom, when it comes and emerges out of silliness, out of negativity. So when you really, when you lift your eyes, you know what you see? When you, in other words, raising your eyes here means when I look at, when I raise my eyes and look deeper, what's the reason for what's going on? You know what you see? You see that really Hashem has a plan. Hashem has a plan to bring us into an, a, a redemption. That's why he puts us into this very tough exile. And then, you know, when you when you realize that, then you come back to the Shira Ma'alot. You're able to come back to a place of joy. You realize it's not Hashem, again, not, not vindictiveness or anger from Hashem. Hashem is bringing, bringing us through a process because he wants us to dig deep into ourselves, to fight physically, spiritually, whatever it is, and to be able to come to a place where we where we get it, that Hashem is, 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 is taking us in a trajectory that's leading us in a good place. Now, here's a very difficult thing, and you should be able to sing about that. One second, but that's... So we should all be, uh, you know, we should all be uh, getting high and dancing and forgetting what situation we're in. So there's a square bracket here. The Rebbe says, God forbid to say that we should be happy with the situation we're in, in the exile, and think, God forbid, that, oh, this is a great thing for a Jew to be in, to be... In an exile where the whole world is crazy, the, whole, the, 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 the falsehood, the deceit, the, the, the fights against God, you should be happy. The problem is if you're happy and you don't feel pained, it may be a certain acquiescence. You may be agreeing with the situation. No, 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 no. We have to realize it's darkness and it's stupidity and it's negativity. Because the Torah says when a Jew is in exile, it's like a ben shegalam al shuchan aviv It's like a child, a prince that's been exiled from his father's 
table from his from the kingly table from his father the king's table. You can imagine the, the pain when somebody's a prince usually eats with the king and now he's sent to eat in the in, in, in the dumps. That's what Golos is. That's what exile is. So we have to feel that as well. And if the if the king's son says, oh, "I love it being in the in the slums eating eating on the floor with all the with all the street people," what do you mean? You crazy? You used to be sitting at the at the eight course meal in the in the king's palace. You got a little mishiga if you think that oh I'm so happy to be in the in the street. No, you have to feel that you're in the street and you want to be with the king. You want to pay some English. You want to be in Hashem's presence. However, in other words, if if somebody if somebody doesn't realize he's in galut, he's in exile. He's in an even deeper place of trouble. But however, together with feeling that this is inappropriate, a Jew belongs to be in Hashem's presence. He belongs the Beis Hamikdash to be here. Belongs for the revelation of Hashem's Shechina. Hashem's... Together with that, he also has to wear another pair of glasses, and he has to have the deeper understanding that there is a purpose. It's not purposelessness. It's not again very important. No, it's not Hashem's. Uh, uh, um, uh, uh, revenge somehow and us trying to catch us out. No, Shem's trying to bring us to a higher place. Now, could we can have the discussion with Hashem? How much already? He says. Uh, so we have to feel uncomfortable about where we are. Not just uncomfortable. We have to feel intolerable that we are in Galut. At the same time, there's a song. The song is in the bigger picture, and we know that from Hashem's picture, He's doing it for a reason. He's taking us to a good place. <clears throat> so it's it's a very difficult dichotomy to live in, actually, because you have to be living in two kinds of uh, arenas. So through this, what happens um, when a person gets to that answer? In other words, when you ask me, "I in where will I help come from?" As it says in in, in the Shiramalis, you know what? When you understand the depth, the question itself has an answer. You know what the question is? You know where the answer is? The answer is in the question. What are the words? May ayin yavo isri. From where will come my help? You know what the word ayin means? Ayin means where? Nothing. We say the world is great. Yesh may ayin. Something from nothing. Ayin means higher than any, undefinable. You know where my help comes from? From ayin. Not where does my help come from? Oh, where's my help going to come from? My help comes from where? From ayin, from that level that's indefinable. From the level of God that's called indefinable, higher than definition. So maybe it's not a question, but a statement. It is. When you get deeper, then it's a statement. Hashem, Shiram Alot, the song. My help comes from Ayin. My help comes from the indefinable levels of God. On a lower level, in the reality we live in, it's a question. Hashem, where will my help come from? I don't like it here. It's crazy. It I want to be question. with you in the palace. It's a question. From where? From where? But when you do esainai, when you look into the deeper meaning of the pasuk, it's, it's also a statement. May ayin yavo ezri. My my ezer will come from a level that's called ayin. When we can define Hashem's name, it's not called ayin. Anything definable is lower than the level ayin. Ayin means indefinable. Where? What is it? I can't define it. That's where our help comes from. From that higher level of God, and that ezer, that help has to be though brought into the world. You see, in our times, it's not yet brought into the world. It's there, so to speak, on a, on a peripheral level. It's there in heaven. But we need to bring it into the world. And the continuation of that verse in Tilim is, Ezri me'im Hashem. My help is from Hashem. who makes heaven and earth. In other words, it needs to be brought down in heaven and earth and into the world in actuality. So we live very... Uh, we live in, in, a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a tug of war of sorts. We live in the reality, 
And we're meant to live in the reality and cry out with every fiber of our being, Hashem, we don't like it. We want Mashiach to come. On the other hand, we're not allowed to get despondent and depressed because we have to realize, Shira Ma'alot, like Yaakov said, hey, there's a there's a plan here. Let's also be happy about the plan. So how, how can we live with opposites? Last week we talked about it. The living with opposites is because we are connected. We have something impossible within us. We have a piece of Hashem within us, which is higher than definitions. So we can live with mixed definitions, with competing definitions, with impossibilities. That's what a Jew does. A Jew lives in an impossible scenario. He lives with with uh, with impossibilities. And uh, that is the Sikha. Uh, thank you.